Is mainstream school failing your kids? The pandemic, with all the changes to schooling and daily life, is a moment of opportunity to rethink the educational path that works best for you and for your kids. So the question is, how can we as parents find alternative solutions that aren't necessarily having to do it all ourselves or pay for programs that we can't afford? I'm Jerry Kirk. And I'm Graham Kirk. Join us as we talk with families thriving on their own path. We shared practical tips, wins, and challenges they've been through to help you on yours. We interview educational experts and parent entrepreneurs with education solutions for the modern age, so parents wanting a better alternative can make confident, informed choices. Welcome to the Modern Education Movement Podcast. You're ready for change. And so are we. Welcome back to the Modern Education Movement Podcast. Now, my guest today... David Caballero Pradas is hard to define in a few words. He's done, you know, he's done a lot of different things. Some I'm not even sure what they are, like genetic engineering of biological memories. He's negotiated deals worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And he's also built an Adobe house. He's given lectures on leadership and he's taken care of cleaning the bathrooms in a hostel. In his own words, he's failed more times than he has tried at entrepreneurship and has angered more people than he's inspired. He's also lived in five countries and feels at home in many more. And for the past two and a half years, he's been traveling with his partner, Luce, researching innovative practices in education around the world. They've collected their discoveries in a new documentary called Killing Curiosity and in their online platform for parents and educators called Evolving Education. So today, we have the treat of exploring the discoveries that they've made on the future of education to help you in your journey. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Gary. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, well, pleasure, pleasure is mine as well. I got to ask, what is genetic engineering of biological memories? That's a good opener. <laughs> <laughs> so I know we are in a podcast about education, but actually my journey didn't start in education from the beginning. I started 100% uh, on science, so I was really curious always, wanted to learn about many things. And when I had to pick a university degree, I just looked for which one had the, the widest variety of subjects. And I found biotechnology as one that had biology, chemistry, physics, engineering, a bit of everything. But uh, during university, what I found is that the best way to learn wasn't within the classrooms, but outside the classrooms uh, with friends, uh, building projects that were interesting to us. So um, in the second year, I think it was at the, at the end of the first one, one of my friends uh, found in a scientific magazine a contest about building biological machines, pretty much with bacteria, with yeast, that will do things that they wouldn't do otherwise. Uh, and it's called International Genetic Engineering Machine Competition from the MIT in, in Boston in the US. Yeah. And it's an international contest. For us, the contest didn't matter that much. It was a great excuse to right. then go to labs nearby and ask uh, our tutors or our professors whether they will help us to build something different. And we did that for a couple of years. And the second, we tried to storage information within bacteria and yeast particularly with bacteria that are easier to modify genetically and scientists generally do quite regularly as a way to research. So kind of like a... And like it was about how to store zeros and ones and, and then so having like, different codes about how to so literally like a, input yeah. and read that information. So like a, so an organic storage device, essentially. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's right. For, for, for data. Wow, that's, that's, that's fascinating. That sounds like an interesting challenge. Yeah, and then you've, you've done so many other 
some interesting things, as, as you pointed out in your intro. I guess I'm really just intrigued by, I mean, for so, for so many of us, you know, kind of lived a, a more, I guess, basic path. And there's really nothing that, what, what's kind of led you to, to try all these different, different directions in your life? Hmm, good question. I guess the key would be curiosity. Just uh, wanting to learn more about different things. I, so in science, for instance, the general path when people study a scientific degree is to then go on and specialize on something super specific and do their PhD and so on. But I wanted to learn more about many other things. So rather than continue on science, I, I then did a master in business so that I could work in many different areas. But as I was in business, then I realized business is still related with science and about building collaborations to develop medicines and things like that. And that's the, the alliances and negotiation part of the bio that, that you read. I realized that maybe the reasons that I was working for wasn't as fulfilling as I was looking for. I always liked entrepreneurship. I always liked to create things, to, to explore new ideas and to try to develop them but found that just doing them uh, for money or just for reputation or, or to increase the number of titles that you put under your name wasn't fulfilling enough and felt a lot more aligned with concepts like social entrepreneurship about how to use all those innovations and, and human capital to build things that have a positive impact on people. So that took me in a different path of social entrepreneurship and in that social entrepreneurship path, my, my partner Luth came in with education and we ended up fusing our two passions, education and social entrepreneurship in evolving education. What would you say is one of the things so far in your, your journey that you've been, um, it's been the most fulfilling perhaps and the most rewarding? Wow, that's a different, a difficult one. Most rewarding. Actually, I'm going to say another one uh, from something you read about the Adobe houses. And it's that, uh, you know, being in this consistent search for success that we are into socially, like we are all, uh, I think, conditioned in society to always seek uh, that, that performance and so on. Uh, most people wouldn't think to go back and just do something that they feel that could be just enjoyable or fun out of the, the joy of it. And, and that's something that while we have been traveling around the world, I've had the chance to do it many times and just not think about whether this is something valuable or this is something expected. And one of those things was helping out to, as a volunteer to build uh, an adobe house with our hands in the mud and, and bringing all the sand and so on. We spent like three or four months doing that. And it was super rewarding uh, because you could, I mean, uh, it was in full connection with nature, with other people that were also motivated to do that. Um, you could see the results of what you were doing in front of you every day. You, you ended up exhausted and slept wonderfully, wake right. up with the sand, feeling full. So, so yeah, that was pretty rewarding. Right. Yeah, well, you get all the senses get to be rewarded. The physical exertion, <laughs> the, the community connection, the tangible results, right? Getting mm -hmm. to create something and ulti ultimately serving someone to then who will then live in that house too. So yeah, yeah that, sounds, that sounds awesome. So now, as you pointed out, you know, through your partner, Luce, who has this passion around education, you've now shifted into, into that realm. And let's tell us a bit more about what you're doing there. You mentioned, you know, researching innovative practice mm -hmm. in education. Um, why, why is that important? What are you trying to change about the world of education? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, this all started just, again, out of curiosity and wanted to learn. So Luth um, was a scientist as me, but she didn't feel fulfilled. The same, I, I had that aspiration about social entrepreneurship, and in her case was about education. So she studied her master to become a high school teacher, but then as she trained, she realized that the training she was receiving 
was completely outdated and wouldn't prepare anyone for today's world or to be a human being really <laughs> rather than a memorizing machine so we had this dream for since we have memory really about traveling around the world that we have been always pushing to the next year and to the next year because there was always something right some commitment or, or some promotion or, or whatever it is and I'm not gonna say it was easy, but we finally left our jobs, uh, which was an incredibly difficult decision to make. Um, and then we started uh, pursuing about how to learn about these different things. I wanted to learn about social entrepreneurship. She wanted to learn about education. So we thought, okay, we have got some savings. We never spend that much. We always lived the same that we lived when we were students at university. So that enabled us to save quite a lot right. uh, while working. And then we went one country after another looking for which are the social innovation hubs, the education hubs, the innovative learning centers, uh, the, the communities of families that we can learn from about innovation in education and our different ways to do things. We started with the obvious, let's say, of uh, going out of the, the standard system, Montessori, Waldorf. And then we kept on exploring more things as people started connecting us. Oh, I also know in my country there's this school that you should go. Or I know this mother that she knows so much about education, more than academic professors. You should go and speak with her. And this has taken us to, uh, at the moment, well, all of this we did it with a camera in our shoulder. That was a great excuse to get people to open their door to us and say, oh, we're doing a film. By the way, we did have no clue about doing a film. So, <laughs> right. So just to kind of piece this together. So, so you decided, okay, we're going to, we're going to go off in this, this venture. We're going to leave our jobs and take our, our bit of savings and, and continue to, to live the, the simple student lifestyle for a while. <laughs> at, at that point, were you thinking, yeah, let's build a, a documentary or did that sort of evolve as the trip went along? And like, what was driving your, your research? Was it, were you trying to find a better solution that you could then implement yourself? Or did, was it always like, let's, let's do some research hmm. and share it to the world? what we found. Yeah. So the idea of doing a documentary film was always there from the beginning, but we didn't even uh, think that it would, I, I didn't know exactly how that would materialize into something real uh, because it was something completely new. None of us have any experience uh, doing anything in the audiovisual world. It's something that we have learned along the way. We started blogs, um, a blog called Evolving Education initially, posting articles, uh, the recordings that we made. We also learned to, how to edit videos and started a YouTube channel as well. So it was all pretty organic, although at the same time very stressful because imagine being in a country for a month where you want to see everything that there is to see in that country, but at the same time you want to organize all the interviews possible in education and social entrepreneurship, uh, preparing the questions. And uh, when you go back to your hostel, you start editing videos and writing articles and trying to create some social media content to attract people to the things that you're doing. So we, I think we have ranged burnout two or three times mm, and on right. this <laughs> journey. Understandable. <laughs> and, and even just, you know, sustaining yourself financially too, I can imagine mm -hmm. that would be a challenging at times. As you point out, it's trying something something new is, I think perhaps all of those experiences you've had of just experimenting gave you that confidence to, to give us a try. So mm -hmm. tell, tell us a bit about some of the things you've been discovering that you, you'd mm -hmm. like, like for parents who are, who are listening out there, like what is happening in the world of education? Because you point out you're looking for really the innovative stuff, right? The things that you'd like to, you're trying to amplify, like you see something good, this needs, this needs, we need to shine the light on this so that um, more of this happens in the world of education. So what, what are some of the, some of the things that you saw is really important to highlight? Yeah. 
So the, the first thing that I will say is that I think in, in education and in, well, in many other fields, but we tend to look for a single solution that it works for absolutely everyone. And if we talk about education, we're talking about human behavior. Uh, so there's a huge amount of diversity and that's really beautiful uh, to go to different places or even within the same country and, and different families and communities and find out that they have different solutions about how to learn, how to develop, how to grow as a person, how to take responsibility for your own life and develop socio-emotional skills. So that we were asking questions related about how to become a fully functional human being, not necessarily how to reach the highest marks. We never ask about marks or about how to reach, you know, the go to the, the most um, recognized university, but about how to develop, how to work in teams, how to develop empathy, how, uh, how to motivate the students. And those, some of those questions came out of conversations that we had with teachers and with parents before we left. We started asking, uh, okay, which questions would you ask to people around the world if you had the chance to, to speak with them? So the one about how to motivate my students is kind of the, the top question that teachers ask us. Um, but there were many others related with uh, emotional development, for instance. So those are the type of questions that we were doing. And we found that even though there's a huge amount of diversity, there were some things that were pretty shocking to us. And uh, one of the things which I think can be transformational if we, if we manage to get it closer to all the kids as much as possible is to help them, to empower them to take responsibility for their own learning mm. so that they can take them responsibility for their own lives. And this can happen in, in a myriad of ways, more structure, uh, through projects, through intergenerational activities, uh, with mentors, through self-direct education, democratic education, consent-based education, sociocracy. Uh, there are many different tools and uh, I, I don't feel like I'm a sage on the stage to tell anyone what they should follow or to tell a government what they should implement at the state level. Rather, what we think is that this diversity is beautiful mm -hmm. and that uh, we should, uh, what we're trying now to do is, the way to share it is to create an experience that kind of recreates that adventure around the world, which we call the learning expedition, where we are, you are exposed to this diversity and are asked to reflect about your own context, to, to analyze your own context, and then experiment with some of them to find out uh, whether they work or not. And then hear other people that are doing exactly the same journey with you and experimenting maybe the same tools or maybe something different uh, so that you keep enriching yourself with the, that diversity to uh, kind of adapt it and contextualize it to yourself. Right. Yeah. So as you point out, the key thing that you're seeing is about the opportunity to take responsibility for, for education. And as you point out, there's many flavors, there's many ways to do that. And I can certainly, that certainly resonates with me when it comes to um, education, just to life in general, that at the end of the day, we want our kids to be thriving individuals and independent and have the ability to, to do what they love, to make an impact in the world. And, and ultimately, they, they need to own that. So mm -hmm. let's talk a bit more about your platform, because it, I think it, for parents out there, I think this might be a really interesting um, resource to tap into for those who, you know, they, they're seeing what's happening, you know, they may have their kids in like a very traditional school environment and they're feeling like, yeah, that's, that's not working for us, but where do I turn, right? So with your, let's talk a bit more about your platform and how it can help parents out there who'd like to make a shift, but really aren't sure how to go about doing that. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Uh, so yeah, we have put a lot of thought on this and, and still I'm sure it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be in a continuous process of refinement. But so the, the way we have, we're working on this is, so we have, okay, this huge ma amount of materials, more than 130 interviews with educators, parents, learners as well with kids, uh, asking them all these key questions, which are, those questions come also from parents, from families and, and from educators. So we have a structure that content around, around that. But, but then how to learn about these things efficiently in a way that has no borders, that is accessible to everyone and where you really um, come out of it better than just reading a blog or watching a documentary because the documentary is kind of an awareness piece, something to bring awareness. And then if you want to pass to action, that's where the learning expedition uh, takes place. And some of the elements that we believe are key is that on one hand, you can't just know about these things. You need to experience them yourself. So we, we're, we're going to try to recreate what um, we expect educators to do and parents uh, in themselves so that they can experience that uh, empowerment of having to take control of their own learning. The second is that there's not a single solution for education, but there's a diversity. So there we explore that range and then, and then we, we experiment and find out what works in your context. So um, can, you, can you walk how that might look? How would one um, explore and, and then experiment? Mm -hmm. So uh, we are structuring it using a framework of um, design thinking. Um, and it's a very pretty simple diagram, but that goes very deep into analyzing a, a challenge. And it starts with a, a common challenge that we have, let's say, how to motivate uh, learners. And then we starting a phase of um, expansion where we go deeper into why that's a challenge, what are the root causes, where are the people involved. We hear different perspectives, we read some theory about what is motivation, what are the components, uh, how autonomy plays a role, how belonging plays a role, all these different things. Where there are also some interviews involved in there. And then we narrow down again to define for your own context. After hearing all these things and doing some reflective activities as well to ask yourself questions and, and, and kind of analyze your situation, then we define very specifically what's the challenge for you and what's the objective that you would like to achieve. Then comes another phase of expansion, uh, which is, we call it explore. And that's where we, we, we share all that diversity of perspectives about this particular topic of motivation. And once you have enriched yourself from that diversity, we narrow down again, okay, now experiment. Now. Um, through a set of uh, reflective questions and exercises, select what might be useful in, in your environment. And then we also provide kind of a framework for that experimentation so that you do one or a few tests, uh, see what happens, record the results, uh, some feedback with the learners, with the people involved, and uh, get to some conclusions. And then we come back to the community of learners to share those experiences and hear other people who have experimented different things in the real world as well. It cannot be just virtual and unseen things. Yeah, I think that there's two things that really jump out to me there. One is it's kind of a structured process for, for parents or, you know, I know you, you also have a lot of people who are educators themselves on the platform trying to create a, a you know, a more enriching environment for, for learners. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for just having that community connection and being inspired and supported by others who are, who are on that journey because you know when you're outside the, kind of the traditional education world um, it can feel quite isolating depending on your your context so hmm. talk, talk a bit absolutely yeah. talk a bit about the community that, aspect of, of what you've got going absolutely yep yeah. community I think it's a, it's a top it's a must for anything that we do in education um, and uh, I think you, you said a key word which is to feel isolated 
And that's something that we have heard from many families, but also from many educators that are even within public schools or state schools that want to do something different, that care about their students, that empathize with them, but that they feel that they can uh, grow or experiment within that environment. And, uh, and, and we see so many initiatives of people doing many things, but everyone is a bit disconnected. And it's very hard to, to make a significant change when everyone is doing their little thing rather than, than work together. Uh, which is it's a different story about how to collaborate within different organizations like now we're doing right you know, the the modern education movement and, and evolving education and so on how we can keep on building bridges but in terms of the community of learners uh, that's kind of the first uh, the first station or the first model of the training is to build the community and we have lots of activities and exercises to get to know each other, to share our perspectives, to build that relationship. And across the whole thing, there's going to be a continuous set of uh, calls with uh, with people to discuss each of the different aspects. And that's where also you get to experience some of that um, self-directed learning or liberating structures or whichever element we want to test uh, because you're going to be a learner on those calls. And those are not calls where you're going to just be listening to people, but interacting with each other, doing group dynamics, um, which I think is completely essential. And our idea is that uh, after the learning expedition, you continue in that community. So we're building also that platform for the afterwards because education is not something we're going to solve in a, in a two-month training or in a right. five-year training either. It's, it will be great to have that place that you can come back share things that have worked for you and celebrate that success, share it with others, but also come with challenges and occasions where you don't know what to do or, or you want to, you need to share that with some other people. So I think that's something fundamental that we have also seen some other organizations doing it, like in India, for instance, Tarki Bay Foundation is doing it with the public school teachers to motivate them uh, and bringing teachers together from different schools to share their methodologies and so on. So we want to do it at an international level and with people that care about about values and, and about doing something more than reaching a standard. I'd love to hear a few stories um, from your travels to put this documentary together. Um, share a, a few that uh, really stand out for you, that really inspired you. Let me think a minute. Mm. I, can, I can think about one, the, the first story where we could go deeper into unschooling, uh, which was in, in India, and it was a... An Israeli family actually that had moved there and started a reforestation project called Satna Forest, where people can go, volunteer, and, and plant trees and take care of the forest and so on. And their their two daughters, they had they had been grown up as unschoolers all their lives. Um, and her daughter was the, the older daughter was already 19. So we, we interviewed her and asked her a few questions and so on um, about how she had grown up and the different things that she had learned and went. Like there's many people that get like a bit scared when they say, oh, you didn't learn to read when you when you were six. No, she learned to read when she was 12 out of her own curiosity to read at that point, And she learned in two months, for instance. Now David, if just maybe just pause for a moment there too, because maybe for someone who's listening to this podcast, maybe it's the first episode. Maybe they haven't, they're not familiar with the word unschooler or they've heard it, and but they're, okay. they're kind of curious. How would you define unschooling? Okay. So I guess that within the range of uh, freedom-based education, where if we have on one hand completely authoritarian classroom regimes where the teacher is on top of a, even a step above of the students and they have to obey absolutely every order, in completely the opposite extreme of that, we have unschooling, 
where the child is completely leading their own development and learning. And they are the ones that ask the questions and also the ones that look for the solutions. And their family and their community are there supporting that process and not necessarily structuring it or influencing it in any, in any ways. And there's a, a ton of <laughs> options in between sure. these two. Yeah, thanks. So what captured my attention the most from this interview with Osher, that's, that's the name of the girl, is the it's just how mature she was. I mean, the, she said something that I don't think anyone has told us in any interview. And it's as we were, she had been uh, like an schooler, then she had been in an alternative education school, and then she went to a social entrepreneurship uh, university kind of program, but also self-directed that she was starting. And we asked her about the different experiences. And when coming to the one that she was experiencing at the moment, uh, the self-directed education uh, kind of college uh, program, she, she could tell us about, oh, this I, I can share it with you, but I don't feel confident to share it in front of the camera. I don't think I know enough about this yet to be able to make a comment. Or, yeah. you know, and this kind of being aware that the question is something where you don't know enough, don't feel confident, you're willing to express an opinion but at the same time, don't want to make it public because, you know, it may have uh, some effects. I, I think that's amazing for someone as young as she was to be able to make all these connections already. Wow. Yeah, that's fantastic. Anything that, um, that really su surprised you in your journeys, like something you didn't expect to see that, mm -hmm. that, that was like, wow, this is, <laughs> where, 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 <laughs> where did this come from? Tons of things. Right. <laughs> It's been tons of things, like definitely the, the power of, of self-directed learning is, is one of them, but to mention a different one, uh, that is also something that we talk about in the documentary, is uh, something that we, we, it became very vibrant and very clear in places like India or Mexico, where education was an absolute imposition from an external power, an external regime that came to the country and then impose an educational system with an established set of contents and values and everything that you need to learn in there. And, and it has been amazing to hear these stories of, from people that being aware of that educational system that was imposed in their countries was a way to, of, was a mental colonization that they still continues today, mm. how much diversity it can come out of it. Because we tend to think about uh, diversity in, in education or innovation in education, and we always think about oh, Finland or the US or UK. And I'm sure these places have amazing initiatives, and, and they do have amazing initiatives like Sudbury, like Summerhill in the UK, many things. But I think we disregard many times things that don't come from the West. And I, I will challenge that perspective because the places where I have seen the widest diversity of educational approaches as being in countries that we consider underdeveloped or emerging, which actually have a lot to, to teach why, us. Why do you think that's, that is the case? Why more diversity in, in, these, areas, in these countries? Well, I think uh, on one hand it's because it's completely evident to the people that have think a bit about it and have research about it that that educational system wasn't in position to manipulate the population. Like in the case of India, there's a document from the, um, I remember that right now the, the person, but pretty much the person who was in charge of the British Empire for education in India that literally said, uh, let's design the educational system so that they're brown on the outside, but white on the inside. Mm. 
so that they behave and they and in a way that they, it was expected at that time. This is already a long time ago. We don't need to keep on fighting the same battles. But it's very obvious that that educational system was imposed with that purpose. And that even though it became a democracy and everything else, the educational system didn't evolve that much from that point. So it's a lot easier knowing that background to then question, okay, if that is not an ideal way to develop as a young person, how could it be? And from there you can start exploring and there are many people that, that explore in different directions. And these are also places that are very culturally rich as well. Mm -hmm. Like India could be in many countries, not just one. Yes, yeah. It just happened to that's, be... That's my experience one. too. I had the chance to travel through many different parts of, of India back when I was in my volunteering days. And uh, yeah, it's such, such, I guess it's called the subcontinent for a reason. <laughs> it is like mm -hmm. many, many countries for sure. Um, what... Uh, Having seen what's uh, what's happening out there in the world of education, what concerns you? What what concerns do you have about the state of education? What what do you feel needs addressing most? Um, I think one of the the areas that I know the least about about how to change it and that is very concerning to me are grades, and that's an area that, as I say, I cannot speak much about because I haven't asked almost in any interview how do you test children, because that's something we didn't care much about. But the reality is that governments and, and schools are measured by those qualifications, by the tests that they do to the children. And that unfortunately, what we measure is what, what we end up focusing all, all our attention on. And the things that we want to develop, and I think most people agree on that we need to develop, like uh, self-awareness, empathy, working in teams, are a lot harder to measure. And we might not even want to measure mm -hmm. them. I particularly, I'm not particularly interested in, in measuring these things, just supporting them. But then you can find a, a crash there in between what you can measure and you can act on and what you cannot measure or measuring can have a negative impact on developing those skills, but we actually want to focus on. So that's a, that's a big challenge that I don't have a, a clear solution for more than forgetting tests <laughs> and, and focusing on, on things that matter. Mm. Well, perhaps in your, in your evolving education community, you'll be able to run some experiments and, and come up with some, some insights. Uh -huh. Certainly seeing yeah. some, some changes in the world where grades are being removed. I think Finland is, is one in particular that comes to mind, right? Or, mm -hmm. And uh, just la less focus on, on homework and things. So good to see. I, yeah. I agree with you. I think, I mean, my kids all went through different styles, but uh, they've never had to worry about marks or grades until this past year when my son David decided he wanted uh, to try a local school and so he's, he's now in grade nine and so it's interesting for me to see you know how that uh, impacts what he focuses on and, and learns too. So David I'm just curious as we kind of start to wrap up here um, what um, I guess what are some final thoughts you have for for parents out there who are you know looking at their situation and thinking yeah I'd, I'd like to to make some changes what, what advice do you have for them? I will say to, to parents and families to question the status quo, uh, that whatever is happening in their context, it's, a, it's probably a one possible option about how to develop, probably one narrow perspective about what education can be, and that there are many possible uh, options we don't need to call I mean, it's because sometimes people have this name alternative as if it was something mm. negative. Alternative simply means that it's not the standard mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, option, but there are many possibilities within those alternatives. And, and just to explore and start um, 
learning about what is survival. There's so many resources, so many tools around, so many congresses and talks that are happening now online. Thanks to COVID, actually, are facilitating learning from people anywhere around the world because congresses are not happening anymore in a, in a physical place. So yeah, just to start learning about those things and then questioning whether the challenges that they are facing in their lives um, has to do with the frameworks through which uh, we have been told that we have to learn and develop and whether different frameworks could help them and their families to to grow healthier, happier and with more purpose. I think certainly your life is a, is a great model, an example of, you know, not settling right i think i think for a lot of a lot of a lot of families there's this feeling of, of settling for something rather than going after what really is is life-giving and enriching and rewarding and, and I think you've, you've modeled a path of not settling which which i certainly find inspiring i'm, I'm sure i guess do as well um when when is your um documentary come out if, if people are interested in and in watching it to to learn more about you know what you've discovered uh you and your partner loose about kind of the the future of education as it's unfolding today, um, how, can they, how can they access your documentary? Mm -hmm. There are two possible ways you can start learning with us. The first one is that even though the documentary film is not finished and we expect it to be finished by end of the year, we could then wait to start sharing <laughs> some, some clips. So we put together a short documentary or an extended trailer of 15 minutes um, that we're taking to different congresses, events, schools, uh, communities of families. So already in our website, evolvingeducation.org, uh, you can, you can uh, just ask for, to organize one of those events, which, which is completely free. And then if you also want to kind of embark with us in this online adventure and community to learn about this diversity of methodologies. In October, we're going to launch the learning expedition and it's going to be available both in English and Spanish because uh, we, well, I'm a Spanish and, and we want to reach as many people as possible in the world. And yeah, it's going to be fantastic. I'm, I'm super excited to, to start that journey. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for what you're doing as well. I think it's it's much needed and excited for the impact that it's, it's going to make. Um, I think you've got something really exciting taking place. And again, David, thank you for coming on the, on the show today for following your curiosity to, to uncover better ways for, for education to, to happen um, and to support uh, families in finding a path that, that aligns with, with them, their values, and just for connecting people around the world who have that similar desire. So thank you. Thank you again for being on the show. Thank you, Gary.